Welcome to Decoding Superhuman. This show is a deep dive into obsessions with health, performance, and how to elevate the human experience. I explore the latest tools, science, and technology with experts in various fields of human optimization. This is your host, Boomer Anderson. Enjoy the journey. All right, today we're delving into women's health and menopause, something we haven't really covered on the podcast before, with Dr. Mindy Pels. And Dr. Pels is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, nutrition and functional medicine expert who has over two decades helping thousands of people successfully reclaim their health. She's a leader in the alternative health field and a pioneer in the fasting movement, particularly as it relates to women. Dr. Pels is the host of one of the leading science podcasts, The Resetter Podcast, and the author of three best-selling books, including The Menopause Reset, The Reset Factor, and The Reset Kitchen. So today on this podcast, we are having a decoding superhuman first. Not only are we delving into women's health, which is a topic which I, I should really delve into a lot more, but also we're getting into fasting and how fasting protocols differ between men and women. We're getting into cycles and how that relates to the types of diets you should employ, whether it be a ketogenic diet or having more carbohydrates in your diet. And we're of course going to tackle menopause at the end. The show notes for this one are decodingsuperhuman.com slash Mindy. That's M I. N-D-Y. Lately, it's been hard for me to find time to exercise. I'm not afraid to admit that. One of the reasons is I have multiple obligations across multiple companies, and I'm still trying to put together the best content in the world for you guys. But on days when my time is short, I turn to the B-Strong and their blood flow restriction device. It helps me get a fantastic workout in under 20 minutes, and I am able to maintain and gain muscle on those days when I'm not able to put an hour or more in the gym. If you want yours, you can head to bstrong.training, that's B as in the letter B, strong.training, and use the code BOOMER to get yourself a nice little discount. By the way, I'm not the only one who uses this, right? Mark Wahlberg, you've heard of him, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, if you will, is also a big advocate of the Be Strong. Enjoy my conversation with Dr. Mindy Pels. Dr. Mindy, all right. So I, I have to start with this question because as a person who loves to read the scientific literature and has more than a few friends in the scientific community, why are there so few studies on women yeah. and women's health? Yeah, this is the million dollar question. <laughs> um, I think the first thing to realize is that human studies in general are way more expensive. So I just I'm just start off with that idea that when we go and do a human study, the cost goes way up. So mm-hmm. when we look at the cost of a study on a human done properly, we also have to look at who funds those studies. And many times the people that fund them are the big are pharmaceutical companies. So we have to understand that just studies in general on humans are far and few between, although we have some great ones. Second thing, here's the, the hardest part about helping women 
is that we need everything to be mapped to our hormonal cycle. So it's almost near impossible, but it needs to happen where we, like the first half of our cycle, we have different hormones surging through us than the middle of our cycle and the end of our cycle. So I call it your hormonal lens. I feel like women need to be taught to pick up their hormonal lens, but then a study would have to go through the eyes of a woman's hormonal lens. And that's very difficult to do. Cause there's yeah, so how many, how many women have the same cycle? Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or how many, like I get on, on our social media, I get people who are women in their twenties are like, I don't have a cycle. How do I map things to that? It's the, this hormonal ebb and flow needs some serious attention from the research world. And I also appreciate what a daunting task that is. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in, Suffice to say, is the research world just kind of written it off as like, hey, this is too complicated, or it's just exponentially more expensive to do so because you have this kind of multifactorial question? Yeah. I think a lot of people are waking up. I'm having more conversations about this with people that it, you know, you have to go from um, being aware that there's a problem to being able to fix the problem. And I think we're mm-hmm. just in that awareness. Like all of a sudden, people are going, wait a second, like autophagy, which is a cool concept mm-hmm. of fasting. Is it the same for men and women? Um, do, mm. do women need to fast the same? Like when we see these studies like Walter Longo's study, he did a three-day water fast study on the immune system. Okay, well, did we ask, were there women, were there men? What was the breakup of that study? I, um, one of the, once you see that, like you look through the eyes of how were women treated or how were women identified in the study, you start to look at studies totally different. For example, uh, here in Silicon Valley, we had a guy out of Stanford who was a um, intermittent fasting specialist and he was a researcher and he wanted to understand if, uh, if you could lose weight with intermittent fasting alone. And he took a group of like three to 400 people and he studied them for quite a bit of time. And it was appeared to be an impressive study. He came out of the study and said, uh, it looks like intermittent fasting is of no good to people for weight loss. So, and then the headlines grabbed that. And all of a sudden, all we saw across all the major news feeds was intermittent fasting is not a tool for losing weight. So I dove into the study. In these three to 400 people, he had everything from 19-year-old men up to 60-year-old women. And mm-hmm. I was like, wait a second. These- oh, this is like reference ranges and lab tests. They just drive me nuts, right? Yeah. Like you should never compare a 19-year-old man to a, even a 40-year-old woman. Like it's mm-hmm. so I think what the it, it's a difficult process, but I would like researchers to first identify that they need to have a more of a control over is it a man study, is it a woman study, and not mix everybody together. And then mm-hmm. we can't get as consumers of that information, we can't get caught into the idea that just because a headline throws it out there, that now I'm going to shut down my intermittent fasting routine um, based off of a 19-year-old man. So I think it's really awesome we're having this this conversation Mm because the public needs to be aware of it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I can tell you've done this before because you immediately were just sort of like gravitated to some of the points that I want to get into today, uh, whether it be fasting and just sort of how long you could potentially fast uh, as a woman, but also at looking at potential at nutritional solutions uh, for women and how they should be applied. So I guess, uh, Dr. Mindy, if it's okay, we can play like the, if you've ever read those mystery novels like Goosebumps, we can do like the choose your destiny kind of thing. <laughs> uh, so uh, fasting or ketosis, which one would you like to go down first? Ooh, um, well, I'm thinking of logical. I think ketosis is first because then fasting mm-hmm. sort of fits into it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess looking at the ketogenic diet, and I've spoken to the likes of Dom D'Agostino and a whole bunch of others, but never through the lens of women, the ketogenic diet for uh, women in general, how do we, what is the best way for us to look at that? Uh, I'm even hesitating to, or just sort of struggling to ask the right question here because it's, you know, from a, a woman's point of view, is the ketogenic diet right for everyone or whom is it right for? Yeah, it's such a good question. So I'll simplify it for you. If you're under 40 and you still have a cycle, then you're going to want to map your ketogenic diet to your cycle. And let me give you sort of a general idea. It, It looks like from the day your cycle starts until let's just go all the way until the week before your period you will do really well with a ketogenic diet. The uh, estrogen is a really, is very insulin sensitive. If you get estrogen out of balance, insulin will go out of balance. If you get insulin out of balance, then estrogen will go out of balance. So when we look at a woman's cycle from day one all the way till about day, you know, after you ovulate, so even like day 16 of her cycle, you need to be insulin sensitive. And I do not know anything better that makes you insulin sensitive than the ketogenic diet. So, Mm -hmm. and you match that with fasting and now you are really able to use the estrogen you're making. Here's the challenge. Mm -hmm. As we get closer to day 20, you make a hormone called progesterone. And progesterone doesn't really care about insulin so much. And progesterone is very susceptible to hormetic stressors. And hormetic stressors are anything that just, any stressor that puts, puts a little bit of a, of a spike in cortisol, you're going to have a decline in your progesterone. So women before their cycle, usually around a week before their cycle, need to actually carb load. This is very <laughs> difficult for women that follow a ketogenic diet. They do not want to carb load. So I really go one layer deeper and say, you want to lean into the foods that will build you progesterone. These are beans, Mm -hmm. potatoes, squashes, um, even some rice, although I don't always recommend rice, um, some fruits, berries, citrus fruits, uh, tropical fruits. So, and Mm -hmm. then if you do that the week before your cycle, and then once your cycle starts, the day you start bleeding, go back to a ketogenic diet you will find you're going to get a better result with your ketogenic diet because that's how you want to hormonally, your your hormones need that ebb and flow of your diet to be able to make those key hormones. So Mm. go ahead and then I'll, I'll do women over 40, but that's a, such an important point for women under 40 to know. Okay. So 
in the women under 40 category, when you when you're talking about a ketogenic diet here, are you referring just sort of to to ketogenic macros, uh, like 65% fat and above, lower carb, et cetera? Or are there specific macros and uh, I guess is dirty keto okay? Yeah. Or are we no, looking <laughs> something else? So I, I think I knew the answer to that yeah. before I asked, but I had to. Okay. So, and I'm glad you bring up dirty keto because fats mm-hmm. really matter and chemicals really matter, especially when you're mm-hmm. trying to become insulin sensitive. So um, to me, the ketogenic diet, there's two ways you can get into ketosis. You can manipulate your macros or you can fast or you can do both. So since we're staying in the food lane, when we get over to fasting, we can chat a little more about that. But I would say my macros for women is not an extremely low keto. I, I struggle with, the, you know, for short bursts, the staying under 20 grams can work for a woman. Long-term, not good for women. So mm-hmm. I have a term I use called ketobiotic, which is 50 grams of net carbs, 50 grams mm-hmm. of protein, and over 60% of your food coming from good fat, not bad fat. Mm-hmm. And then really making sure that your carbs, why I put the biotic part in there, is make sure your carbs are coming from plant sources, not from yeah. breads and pastas. Because women also have a, a microbial uh, system in the, her gut called the estrobilome that will break mm-hmm. estrogen down. So mm-hmm. a woman going completely uh, plant-free can be very difficult for that system. So that's, mm-hmm. those and are the, the macros. 20 grams? And the 20, going below 20 grams, what's sort of the long-term effects of that? Uh, you, you will, if you do it at the wrong time of your cycle, like, so if you did mm-hmm. it the week before, um, it would tank progesterone too much, Oy. it's way too low. But if you did it like day 10 of your cycle when you're trying to make estrogen, there the, it would be okay over there. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. But what we see on our platforms is a lot of women who get incredible results with ketosis and they do it by going under 20 grams and they stay under 20 grams forever and ever and ever and ever. And all of a sudden their hair falls out, they, they lose their period, uh, they might, maybe they're trying to get pregnant, they don't even realize that they're making themselves infertile. So thyroid gets thrown off. This is not, mm-hmm. this isn't what we're looking for. No, it doesn't sound like health optimization no. in that state. <laughs> no, just because the, the uh, scale says the number you want doesn't mean mm-hmm. you're living in the body you want. Exactly. Exactly. That's really, really good to hear. Uh, Dr. Minya, I interrupted you earlier on uh, over 40. Yes. So, so over 40, what does this look like? So then over 40, here's, here's what's crazy about over 40 is that our hormones dramatically shift and it takes about mm-hmm. 10 to 15 years where the ovaries start to like kick out. They're like, I'm done. I've been making you sex hormones forever. Now I'm going to stop making them and I'm going to hand the job of making sex hormones over to your adrenal glands. So mm-hmm. if a woman is highly stressed as she goes into her 40s, her adrenals now have to make all those stress hormones Plus, it has to start to make those sex hormones. So women in their 40s start to become very estrogen uh, resistant. They're, and mm-hmm. the estrogen levels will decline. And she, as estrogen levels decline, she becomes more insulin resistant. Mm. So a woman has got to be more, um, she has to have more flexibility and variation. If she doesn't mm-hmm. have a cycle, 
then actually she can do really well with like six days a week of ketogenic fasting. If there's no cycle to track, then she's just, she can really do more like a man and lean, and she's going to want to lean into ketosis, fasting, and bring that body more or those cells more insulin sensitive. Um, mm-hmm. And then one day a week, do a hormone building day, like I mentioned, where the cycling woman has to do a week. The woman without a cycle who's post-menopause or moving through menopause can get away with one day um, mm-hmm. a week. So you just, the, the ratios change, the protocol changes because the hormones are changing. And so that one day a week is not necessarily like, let's go nuts on pizza no. and every sort of donut out there. No. It's just, as you said earlier, it's going back to really some of those, uh, I mean, just healthier carbohydrates, right. if we will. Right? Yeah. And then you have exactly the, they, I always say it's not eating a tub of ice cream and a box of pizza. That's not, mm, that's the not, cheat day. People, yeah. people are going to get upset right now. <laughs> I know we call it a feast day, but it's feasting yeah. on foods that nature provided for you, uh, to mm-hmm. be able to build hormones. So mm-hmm. if you are through in menopause or through it and you are struggling to lose weight, the ketogenic diet will be amazing for you. Fasting will be amazing for you. And just be mindful that one day a week, you need to really mind your progesterone and step out of that and make sure that you are um, building using these hormone building foods. Mm-hmm. While we're on the topic of sort of general nutrition, before we get into fasting, because there's certainly a lot of stuff that I, I have questions on there. Okay. Uh, when it comes to uh, meal timing, um, and maybe this is actually the transition into fasting too. Uh, meal timing. How do you? How would uh, sort of? I don't want to say the average woman, but how should a woman look at sort of pre forty, post forty meal timing? Let's say if they weren't fasting in this case. Oh, so meal timing if they're not fasting. Well, the first thing, regardless of age, that comes to my mind is, um, and we could actually put this in context with uh, post women going through menopause, is what's really interesting that I don't think is talked enough about is that we really should not be having our heaviest meal at dinner and yeah, then going to the, bed. The American, the American dinner and then throwing yourself in front of the computer, or not computer, but like couch and watching Netflix yep. and then going right to bed. Yep. Yeah, that's not very healthy. Why is that? Yeah. So what's happening is your body is going into a state where it's digesting food and it takes energy to be able to do that. And then if you go to bed, you shut down that process and that's stressful to the body. And so A, you're whacking your sympathetic nervous system out. B, I mean, you take a woman over 40, most women or many women over 40 struggle to sleep well. So you're now going to have a a difficult time sleeping and uh, you have this food that doesn't get properly digested. So it sits in there. And if we really want to get gross with this, it sits in your gut and ferments. And Mm -hmm. as it ferments, it starts to build yeast and fungi like candida, increases your sugar cravings. So you're whacking your nervous system out. You're making yourself more prone to sympathetic dominance. You're Mm -hmm. creating an environment where bad fungi can live. And you're really not getting the max out of your food. And so, you you know, you're not pulling the right amount of nutrients because you didn't give your body enough time to be able to actually digest all that food. Mm -hmm. And so if we're looking at that gap between 
dinner and bedtime. Obviously, you know, if we could all move to Spain and have like the Spanish lunch style and have a smaller dinner, wow. albeit they, they eat pretty late there. Uh, but if we were to have just sort of the ideal gap between dinner and bedtime, uh, what do you, what do you think that is? Or yeah, what you, I, I think it's two hours. It's two okay. hours. And you know, what's been really fun. We've been doing in my community a lot is in fact, I just charged mine is doing the wearables. So I've been wearing the mm-hmm. whoop or the aura ring is another great one. And yep. you can find, I, I'm a big believer in N of one, figure out what's right for you. And oh, that tickles my fancy, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> it's such a good, it's like hormetic stress. It's such a good mm-hmm. concept that we need to talk more about. Mm-hmm. Um, but get yourself a, a wearable, get an aura ring, get a, a whoop band, and then you decide what's right for you. I can tell you mm-hmm. because it monitors my sleep. I can tell you that when I eat a, like at six o'clock and go to bed at nine, my heart rate variability will go up dramatically. When I'm mm-hmm. on a two and three day water fast where I'm not you know, eating at all, my heart rate variability is through the roof because mm-hmm. when I sleep, I'm actually doing what sleep is meant to do. I'm mm-hmm. repairing, I'm detoxing my brain, you're stimulating autophagy, um, you, you are tapping into these healing mechanisms at sleep that are supposed to happen. But when, and, and you can see it on the wearable. So the next morning you can get up and you can be like, oh, okay, that worked for me. So that's how mm-hmm. you can decide what your window should be. Very, very cool. At this point, I want to talk about fasting because this is just uh, a fascinating subject and one of the reasons why I wanted to have a conversation with you. Uh, it, first, before we go into just sort of different strategies for fasting and uh, perhaps the cons, let's talk about the pros of fasting. Like, why should somebody listening to this care a lot about fasting? Because uh, it's how you're designed to be. <laughs> it's in your <laughs> That whole innate, thing called evolution, right? <laughs> yes. It's in your innate cells. And here's mm-hmm. here's the best way I can explain it. If you go back to the cave person days, so this this mm-hmm. is something that's just, I've been geeking out on a lot lately. We live in this crazy modern world where we have access to food all the time. I mean, I can sit on my couch, pick up my phone and have somebody deliver my favorite meal to me at my front door. And we have are operating out of integrity with how our human body was designed to be because we are living in a very modern world. But we literally have the same human body that the cave people did with a few little modifications to it. So what did the cave people do? They woke up, they looked, when the sun came up, they looked out, they came out the cave. They didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have a pantry. They looked around and they were like, okay, we gotta go find some food. So they spent the whole day hunting for food, gathering food. Now let's stop and think about this for a moment. We would not have we would not be existing today if they were if they were meant to crash when they didn't eat that was <laughs> not the case what happened is they tapped into another fuel source and we call that the ketogenic energy source some people call it a fat burning mode and so it's almost like if you've ever been in a hybrid car and you like start off with the EV and then it kicks into the gas and you get, a, you get another version of fuel. That's what happens to our body because that's what needed to happen back in the cave person day. We needed to click into another fuel source. 
And this other fuel source, this ketogenic energy system gives us ketones and ketones go up into the brain. They make us mentally clear. They make us focused. They get, ketones will get gobbled up by the mitochondria in our muscles and they'll make it so we can run faster. So you get like this limitless energy like boost. So you could go find food and you can bring it back to the cave and then you could feast. Well, that system mm -hmm. didn't leave you today. It's still there. You just haven't realized it because we've been taught breakfast is the most important meal of the day. We've been taught that six meals a day speeds up your metabolism. All of that is total bullshit. There's no, I can't find any research on that. So we bought into a way of eating that is out of integrity with how our design is meant to be. And if you don't come over to fasting, you're missing out on this whole other fuel source mm -hmm. that is like ready to serve you in the biggest way possible. So to mm. me, that's the best reason to fast. Amazing. That, uh, and you deliver, that, that was amazing uh, because you even touched on the whole six meals a day thing, which I, I religiously followed when I was in my teens and it worked well for me because I was keeping my portion sizes small. But when, of course, yep. you get older, people start to do six large meals a day and then they become large and uh, they're wondering why. And it, this helps kind of clarify that. So let's, let's get into fasting specifically for, for women, because um, it's a topic I haven't covered on the podcast before. And, you know, it's something that I sort of feel like I'm walking around uh, sort of a, a field of landmines, if you will, yeah. and trying to navigate appropriately because we have this, this cycle that we have to deal with. First, should all women consider fasting or are there specific types that should avoid Yeah, it? that's a really good question. So um, here's what I would say. If you want to keep your weight in a good place if you want energy that doesn't, you don't crash. If you want to have memory, brain power, and focus like you've never seen before, then you should fast. If you don't mm -hmm. want those things, then don't <laughs> don't fast. So that that mm -hmm. would be like the first thing I would say. Um, the mo the people that I have some some caveats for on fasting for starters, pregnant women never fast. In fact, uh, one of my staff is pregnant right now, and we spent so much time where we spend so much time together that we used to always every day check in and be like, how long are you fasting today? And now I come in in the morning and she's got mounds of food around her. And I'm like, perfect. <laughs> That's what pregnant women should do. They should feast. They shouldn't be fasting. Um, nursing women need to, to really make sure they don't fast over 17 hours. They don't want to stimulate autophagy. And we can talk about that. Um, women with eating disorders, I think should have some, have involve whoever their health coach is in that process. And then the other one is adrenal fatigue. Um, you just have to slowly work yourself into fasting. So those are the people that need to think about this a little differently in the caveat of women. Um, outside of that, women just need to time their fast to their hormonal needs. Mm -hmm. Before we go on that last point, uh, just because I know the people listening to this show, uh, the adrenal issue is a very common one, right? Uh, if you're driven executive uh, and you know you're really burning the candle at both ends, that can get to you sometimes. Uh, what is likely to happen to somebody 
who fasts while with while having sort of adrenal insufficiency if you will yeah so there's something to remember about stress we have good stress and we have bad stress so and um stress looks like a lot of different things so stress when you go to work out you're you're raising your cortisol in fact fasting will raise your cortisol um having a it a tough day where you're just go 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 that'll raise your cortisol so the trick for people with adrenal fatigue is they want to have little bouts of stress we call it a hormetic stress and you can actually start to heal the adrenal glands you can start to repair the hpa whole hpa access which is hypothalamus pituitary so little bursts of stress can actually be healing to somebody with adrenals. But mm-hmm. if you are completely like you're day in day out stressed over and over again, you're struggling with energy, you have to really lean into some shorter fasts and do not go more than intermittent fasting. And what because now you've taken a hormetic stress and you put it to a stressful life and you're creating this chronic stress. So you're really mm-hmm. just too much cortisol and the body can't adapt. Short amounts of cortisol actually heals. So mm-hmm. that would be the first thing to say. What I say, just the more applicable answer is if you have adrenal fatigue, start by just pushing your breakfast back an hour and just, just yeah. get used to that. You know, you, maybe 15 hours seems completely undoable. That's fine. You wake up, eight hours you've been fasting while you sleep or seven hours okay, could you just push breakfast back an hour and then kind of let your body get used to that? And then maybe push it back another hour a few weeks later and then another hour. Could you stabilize your blood sugar by pulling the refined carbohydrates out and like adding in good fats and more protein? Like you almost have to be very gentle with the process so that Mm -hmm. you don't tip the stress into this chronic damaging stress spot. Beautiful. Extremely well said. As a person who started fasting uh, at the absolute wrong time when I was beyond burned out, uh, I I know some of the side effects from this. So I I really appreciate you uh, saying that. Let's talk about uh, how would somebody get started fasting? So let's say women under 40. How do you look at just sort of different fasting protocols for these types of people? Yeah. So the first thing to know is that the longer you fast, the more healing mechanisms get turned on. So Mm -hmm. I I call them switches. So, and we can chat about that in a moment. Um, So you're wanting to train your body to be able to fast. And so I do want to look at this like a training experience. If you were training for a marathon, you wouldn't just go out and run 12 miles and see how you know see how far you could go you would be injured so i want people to approach fasting very in the very similar manner mm-hmm. so you start actually with your food and it's very much like what i mentioned for the adrenal people start by taking out anything that is putting you on the blood sugar roller coaster so the cookies the cakes the crackers the breads the pastas the, the quick fuel foods that are high on the glycemic index, we want to bring those down and lean into more of nature's foods. So you, I'm not saying don't get carbs, but get your carbs maybe f- from fruits that have a little more fiber in them, uh, mm-hmm. p- potatoes, yams, 
uh, squashes, like things that are more carb rich, but they have fiber. So they stabilize your blood sugar. Mm -hmm. And then look at your oils. So make sure you're not doing the bad oils. The bad oils actually make you more on that roller coaster than anything else. So the canola, the cottonseed, the corn, uh, partially hydrogenated, pull those out. Okay. So that's, Mm -hmm. you do that for a couple of days. You got getting your, and you might have to do it for a week if you're like a total junk food junkie. (laughs) So then, okay, now you're ready to fast because you've stabilized your blood sugar. So now let's do what we taught the adrenal fatigue people. Push your breakfast back or push your, your dinner up an hour and try that for a few days. Now the adrenal fatigued person may have to try it for a few weeks. The normal healthy person, couple days. Now here's here's what's crazy is when you go to compress your eating window and elongate your fasting window, we actually want there to be a little discomfort because in that discomfort, we grow stronger. So Mm -hmm. if we push you for a couple of days and you're like, I'm hungry, she said to go an hour, like I'm really hungry, awesome. Like, I Mm -hmm. want you to sit there as long as you can. If you can go two hours, amazing. But you just are pushing your body to start to wake up to this ketogenic energy system. So I Mm -hmm. usually say, do it for a couple of days, push it back an hour. A couple of days later, push it back another hour within a week's time. A couple of weeks time, you should be the first ledge to get on is 13 to 15 hours. And if okay. you, when you can do that regularly, now you're in the fasting game. Mm-hmm. And, and with, so 13 to 15 hours, first step in terms of fasting, it, when we look at some of the, you mentioned Walter Longo earlier and some of his sort of three and five day fasts and these sort of fast, fast mimicking diets. Are there any of the sort of longer ones that you would say, uh, uh-uh, uh, not for women or, uh, are, is everything pretty much fair game? Uh, everything's fair game at the right time. Of course. So yeah. a man could listen to this podcast and be like, this is really interesting. I think I'm just going to start fasting. And mm-hmm. let's say, I mean, it might be tough, but a man could go in tomorrow into a three-day water fast and there would not, I mean, it might be hard, but there wouldn't be a hormonal consequence. A woman mm-hmm. at the wrong time of her cycle or a menopausal woman, if she rushes too quickly into those longer fasts, that's going to be, you're going to tank your hormones and that's what we're trying to avoid. Mm. Okay. You mentioned earlier switches. And I'd love to hear just sort of when some of those switches occur during fasting. Is it at that 15 hour mark or when do we actually hit that beautiful word autophagy, which if you can explain that for people, it'd be helpful as well. Yeah, of course. Okay. So the first switch is what we call intermittent fasting and it's 13 to 15 hours. Um, Just to stop and acknowledge the research on some of this stuff is really profound So there's Mm -hmm. two things I like to point out on intermittent fasting. One, I'm sure you're familiar with the New England Journal of Medicine. uh, I've heard of it once or twice. (laughs) It's like the guru of of publications for for Mm -hmm. doctors. Well, in December 2019, they came out with a meta-analysis, and they had looked over 1,500 peer-reviewed journals, and they decided that intermittent fasting – 13 to 15 hours, they had a few other versions of intermittent, but for the sake of this conversation, 
was should actually should be they say this in the in the article and i i can't this is why i have to repeat it so people understand the how profound this was that it should be the first line of treatment for obesity diabetes alzheimer's dementia um, asthma pre and post surgery and a few autoimmune conditions like ms that mm-hmm. should be your first line of treatment now let's just stop there for a moment how many of your doctors, if you have those conditions, are telling you that that should be your first line of treatment? Uh, it's not being said. So Yeah, unless you're working directly with a functional medicine person, which is excellent. very, very rare. Right. Um, you know, there's very few people that are saying that. Right. That's for sure. So why was it profound for this? Is that it, br- it starts to bring insulin or uh, inflammation down. It starts to increase growth hormone, which is growth hormone for like women is really important because that will is stimulate and men actually growth hormone is a precursor to testosterone. So we want more growth hormone. It slows the aging process down. It helps you burn fat. So for the obese person, we start to get this new hormone that's helping us burn fat. It's bringing insulin down. And at that mark, you are moving from this sugar burner energy system over to the ketogenic energy system, the fat burning energy system. So you are making your first step in to being in this other energy system that will start to heal you and it will make ketones is is a measurement that you're over there. Um, Mm -hmm. The other interesting study I just want to point out on intermittent fasting was done on women, was done on women going through breast cancer. And they found that after a woman had done the traditional treatment for breast cancer, uh, whatever version, chemo, radiation, mastectomy, whatever version that was for her, that afterwards, if she just did anywhere from 13 to 15 hours of fasting on a fairly regular, they didn't say how regular, but fairly regular basis, that there was a 70% less reoccurrence of that cancer. Wow. 70 wow. person. Like, and we're only talking about like stopping eating at 7 p.m. and eating again at 8 a.m. the next day. That's that's incredible. 70 percent. 70 percent. So, you know, where my as a woman, where my brain goes to that is, well, OK, if it worked for women post post breast cancer treatment, what if I don't want to get breast cancer? Maybe mm-hmm. I should just do intermittent fasting again, mapping it to my cycle um, a little more regular to make sure I prevent breast cancer. So, mm-hmm. so that's kind of the first step in. Now, mm-hmm. the second step is one that um, got a lot of attention because of a man named Dr. Osumi. He is a Japanese scientist and he won the Nobel Prize in 2016 for in medicine and physiology. Again, this is in their, their journals and their world. And uh, he won it for autophagy. And so autophagy Mm -hmm. is where in the absence of food, meaning the blood sugar is starting to go down, it creates a signal that turns on an intelligence inside the cells. And this Mm -hmm. intelligence is called autophagy. And the intelligence of the cell looks around the cell and says, hey, no food's coming. I better make this cell more efficient. I better clean this cell up. So any bad bacteria, any viruses, fungi that are in the cell, it will kill it and push it out. 
any mitochondria. Mitochondria is what's making us ATP for energy that needs to repair. It will start to repair it. Endoplasmic reticulum that gives us protein and gives us um, amino acids and helps to give us even some more antioxidants. It'll repair that. It makes that cell more efficient. And it even will often decide if a cell needs to die. And if the mm -hmm. cell needs to die, it will be like, this cell's not functioning right. It's about to go rogue like a cancer cell, and it will kill it. That's called apoptosis. Mm -hmm. All of that happens at 17 hours. So wow. if you want the best detox on the planet, then you want to start stepping into autophagy. And I, I even want to put one more huge point out there because this has been my cry for 2020. We have research showing that when a, when a virus, viruses cannot live on their own energy system. They will live off of your energy system. So mm -hmm. if you're a sugar burner and a virus comes into your cells, it will actually take that uh, fuel that is being created from being a sugar burner and it will gain energy and can replicate at a higher degree. Mm -hmm. If your cells are in a state of autophagy, and a virus comes in, it will kill the virus and the virus will not replicate. This was a study mm -hmm. done on COVID-19. So why aren't we all stimulating autophagy? It happens at 17 hours. Why? You why can't tell people to not have their orange mocha frappuccino, right? So, <laughs> right. <it's> just <laughs> so this is why, like when I get an opportunity to like educate mm -hmm. people, like you're so powerful. Fasting yeah. will teach you how to tap into that power. And the, the thing with autophagy that I like to just point out for those people who are like fasting experts is it's like a dial switch. So, you know, growth hormones more like a switch on. This is more like a dimmer switch where at 17 hours it turns on and it can continue at peaks at 72 hours of fasting. So mm -hmm. between 17 and 72 hours of fasting, you are maximizing your autophagy. Uh, so... Let's talk about that 72 hour range. And, and then I have a couple of questions around autoimmune conditions, but um, that 72 hour range. So based on the peak of autophagy being 72 hours, what's sort of the benefit for anybody that wants to go beyond that? Or ah. should women in particular, uh, should women in particular avoid going beyond that? Here's a sample of my current morning routine. I drink a little bit of water. I meditate. I read. And I use these amazing tinctures. Current rotation includes chaga, but I also get into lion's mane, shiitake, maitake, and so many others. You guys know what I'm talking about. I've been a longtime fan of Kappa Health straight out of Finland. And Eric Puro, the CEO, has been on the show before. In fact, he's one of the more knowledgeable people I've ever spoken to about medicinal mushrooms. And if you want to try these out, because chaga, after all, is a fantastic antioxidant and lion's mane just sets my brain on fire, you could head over to kappahealth.com. That's K-A-A-P-A health.com. Yes. A little bit of a Finnish spelling there and use the code boomer and you're going to get yourself a nice little 10% discount. Let's get on with the show. That's a great question. Uh, so stem cells, we get mm -hmm. um, at 24 hours, we get intestinal stem cells that reboot. At mm -hmm. 72 hours, we get a whole immune system that gets a surge of stem cells and the immune system will reboot. 
We're also finding things like musculoskeletal injuries can be healed with a burst of stem cells. So if you're not familiar with stem cells, those are cells that can go anywhere in the body and start to heal injured body parts and injured cells. So mm-hmm. would why would you want to go beyond 72 is because at 72, now you've got stem cells. So w- the longer you stay fasted, the more stem cells you get. And mm-hmm. the story I always tell is I had an Achilles tendon injury um, that I just couldn't make go away. I tried everything. So I threw a five-day water fast at it. And um, on the fifth day, the pain went away. And that was two, three years ago, never came back. Mm-hmm. So I spent two days with stem cells and the body's intelligence is so brilliant that it knew where to send those stem cells. And one of the major places I, that I know I can educate, my educated brain can feel I got it was in this t- Achilles tendon. So the, mm. the longer you go, the more stem cells you have. Um, now, having said that, I'm going to say this for both sexes, but I really want to point out to women that I see a lot of women, a lot of people that want to go, well, if five days is good, let me go 14. Let me go 21. Let me go 30. <laughs> let me go longer. If a little bit is yeah. good, let me go longer. Yeah. And that I want to warn you against um, without supervision. You really mm-hmm. need, because you lose perspective of what's right for you. And you need a coach, not a friend. You need somebody who knows fasting to be able to coach you through that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's, I know there's clinics in various places that do this, even California, even. Yeah. Um, and then <laughs> Siberia. And then I think there's one notorious one in Costa Rica that may have gotten it wrong a couple of times. But yeah, I completely agree. If you're going to go down that path, like having somebody by your side uh, is very, very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And they, at those clinics, they're checking your blood work very frequently. Mm-hmm. Like they're making sure you're staying safe. It's possible. I mean, there's incredible stories of healing that can happen in those longer fasts, but you really are putting yourself in danger if you are starting to go even three days and beyond. Um, Just encourage people to be mindful, check your blood sugar, look at your ketones and have an authority overlooking you. You know, Dr. Mindy, I, I didn't expect this to come of this episode, but you give me an idea on how to heal my VMO. So maybe mm. I'll, uh, maybe I'll be water fasting here in the near future. Yep. But uh, let's talk about uh, fasting and autoimmune conditions. You already mentioned MS and it has a potential benefit there. Is there any danger for something uh, more thyroid related? Uh, like, well, I guess all of these in some ways have a connection to the thyroid, but let's say Hashi's or Graves. Um, any danger in fasting for people with those types of autoimmune conditions? I, I wouldn't say there's a danger, but there's some nuances that you're going to want to <sighs> be aware of. So let's go back to what an autoimmune condition is. So to me, there's two things we've got going on. We've got a toxic load issue and we have an immune system that's hyperactive. So I call it a mixed up immune system. So when we look at this mixed up immune system, so much of our immune system lives in our gut. So I actually, with the with my patients, love using 24-hour fast to really start to bring back the health of the uh, microbiome and the inner lining of the gut. A 24-hour fast once a week is an incredible tool for uh, an autoimmune condition. So that that would be Mm -hmm. the first thing. 
this um, part about the environmental toxins, um, and this is maybe going too deep, but pull me, pull me back if, if we did. No, no, go, okay. go for it. Um, when you stimulate autophagy, you also stimulate apoptosis, and apoptosis is cell death. What happens is that in cell death, any kind of man-made synthetic chemical will get redistributed into your body. So if you're doing a lot of these fasts and you know you have an autoimmune condition, you're going to want to use things like binders, like um, activated charcoal, where mm -hmm. you can buy, or a zeolite, so you can bind to the toxins that might be getting released. So that, that would mm -hmm. be the first thing. Um, and mm -hmm. then you're going to want to heal the gut and you can use the 24-hour fast to do that. So just be mindful that the longer fast, the more toxins are being spun off, the more binders you're going to need to, to use to make sure those toxins don't go to the organ that's already been damaged. Now, with thyroid specifically, I would say that you want to be mindful. There's some incredible research showing that in a fasted state, you will absorb your medication more. And there's some research showing that you will absorb your thyroid. It was specifically done on thyroid. You will be more sensitive to your thyroid medication. Well, what does this look like for you? And it's not all necessarily autoimmune conditions, but or a Hashimoto's, it looks like a thyroid storm. Like it's like a like almost like a, a hyperactivity where your heart is fluttering, you feel a little dizzy or a little woozy. That can be an indication that you're absorbing your medication really at a higher level than you've been before. So mm -hmm. this is where I just love to involve doctors in the conversation. Because yeah. we see over and over and over again, people who are able to get off their thyroid medication by using the tools of fasting and, and healthy eating. But it has to be a slow, methodical process. And you really have to have a doctor that's willing to test you frequently, work with you, and make sure that the, that the medications are being adjusted in a slow manner. Just on the testing point, how frequently are we talking about here? If you're working with somebody who has, let's say, Hashi's, how often are you testing hormones? Is it every three months? Is it every six months more? Yeah, I wouldn't let six months go by. So anywhere from okay. once a quarter to once every six months. Ah, very, very helpful. Yeah. One last question on the, the fasting before we go into menopause. Mm -hmm. um, breastfeeding and fasting. You mentioned earlier something about, uh, I think it was 18 hours was the max window or is it slightly shorter? Uh, I would just love to hear from you sort of the implications of going longer Yeah, if we do. Yeah, it's a great, this is a really good question and, and the nuance is important. So remember at 17 hours, autophagy hits. And remember mm -hmm. at a when autophagy hits, so does apoptosis. Ooh. So we don't, breastfeeding, we don't want you stimulating autophagy. So I would go right up, at least in extreme auto autophagy. I always say don't go more than 17 hours if you're breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. um, because where's all the, those toxins? When, when toxins get released, they're going into your breast milk and now they're going into your child. <sighs> yeah, the, that would be the unfortunate outcome there. Yep. Uh, menopause. All right. This is this is a, a decoding superhuman first here. We've never, I've never oh. even tried oh. to tackle this. I so, love it. 
I, I want to set the stage for menopause first. So if you don't mind going through some basics with us, yeah. Uh, menopause, if you can just give us an overview of when it occurs, what are some of the kind of onset symptoms uh, roughly for, I know everybody's different, but what are sort of the generalized symptoms for people? Yeah. Uh, great question. And, you know, like you and I spoke before, I just really want to rebrand this idea of menopause. In fact, mm-hmm. I'm 51 years old and I always, I, at, here I have this book on menopause and I still feel like in my mind, menopause is something my mother went through. It's like, mm-hmm. am I old enough to go through this? This is really funny. So uh, here's what happens. At 40, around 40, your ovaries will make this slow decline. And it, it doesn't happen overnight, but the ovaries have been responsible for estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. So as the ovaries make the slow decline, you are going to feel some symptoms that you've never felt before. And and my big plea to women is your lifestyle has to change after 40. What you were able to get away with at 30, you will not get away with at 45 because you literally have a set of organs that are on their way out. They're like, hey, Mm -hmm. I've been giving you eggs every month. Like, I don't have a lot of eggs left. I'm going to slowly check out here. Your adrenals are going to take over. Some peripheral tissues are going to take over. So the lifestyle has to shift. And what if it doesn't, if you don't shift your lifestyle, and we can talk about what those five things are that I really recommend women do, then you're going to start getting hot flashes. You're going to not be able to sleep. You're going to gain weight for no reason. You're going to um, find that you know you might have some skin issues. You're, you might notice the mucosal membranes start to dry out. Your, your moods, you're going to be more irritable. I keep thinking about how many divorces probably happen at this time because they didn't make like a, the proper lifestyle shift. You, you ask any uh, menopausal woman or perimenopausal woman, it's an extreme sport if you do not make a shift in your lifestyle. And mm-hmm. what happens is these, these symptoms appear and then what do we do? We either medicate them with like, HRT or even bioidenticals, like we just, okay, let's throw some pills at it. Or Mm -hmm. we tell a woman, take an antidepressant, which is the thing that drives me crazy. Um, (laughs) Or worse yet, this is what happened to me, was when I was trying to figure out my menopause journey, all, everybody was just sort of put their arm around me and kind of went, okay, buck up little camper. This is going to be a hell of a ride. Get ready for it. And I just refused to, to do that. So that's how I came up with these, these five lifestyle changes that need to happen. Mm. I want to go into those five lifestyle changes. But before I do that, you mentioned HRT and HRT, peptides, all of these things are very, very trendy right now. Um, do you think there's any possibility in that we can delay or even eliminate menopause using some of these modalities uh, that are available now? Um, You can minimize the symptoms, but let me put a big warning sign out. Mm -hmm. If you look at all the the um, hormonal cancers that that ta- that take a woman's life, the heart attacks that happen. I think we get a lot of we give a lot of press to the ones that happen at forty, but most of those are happening after menopause. Mm-hmm. So 
the diseases that are coming in 50, 60, the dementia, the Alzheimer's, the heart attacks, the cancers, if you don't make this lifestyle shift, you are setting yourself up for those diseases. When mm-hmm. you come in with HRT, for example, even, I mean, bioidenticals are the natural stuff I'm a little more open to because they're just sort of a softer way of moving you through. But if mm-hmm. you come in and manipulate too much of, the, of estrogen and progesterone and you don't change your lifestyle, I strongly believe you are setting yourself up for that disease later on mm-hmm. in life. So now I, I understand menopause is tough. Like I'm not saying that you, I don't want people losing their relationships or, you know, walking around irritable all the time. So some of those can be nice crutches. And I'm saying, do lean on those crutches and change your lifestyle at the same time. And now you're getting the best of both worlds. Beautiful. Let's go through those five steps that can help people uh, transition if you will, yep. uh, actually insert the best word for me here, have a better experience. Yeah. Uh, through it menopause. is a transition, it is a transition. <laughs> um, so the first one is what we've been talking about, which is fasting. So, and I mapped all these out in the menopause reset. So I'll kind of go over them high level. And then <laughs> what I did in that book is I gave steps on each one of these five. So women could just easily move into it. So we want to go from eating all day to really compressing our eating window and um, elongating our fasting window. You don't have to go on a three-day water fast. Um, You could try intermittent fasting. That could be just fine. Um, But you're going to want to stop eating all day. So you want to have some kind of fasting routine. The second one is we really need to vary our diet. So this has been baffling to me in, in the world of nutrition we become zealots for one way to eat. We're like, I'm a vegan. I'm a carnivore. You touch a soft spot with me. This is like, I, I, the, the zealots are crazy. It's crazy. mm -hmm. Boomer, you should see on on my resetter group. We have a closed Facebook group where we fast together at 40,000 people. And we have arguments probably every other day with the vegans and the carnivores yelling at each other. Of course, of course. (laughs) And then toss in a couple of people and then it's sort of keto, paleo, uh, you know, take your pick, right? Right. Uh, It's just crazy. Yeah. So, so stop being a zealot for one style of eating and understand Mm -hmm. how to vary your food. So we've Mm -hmm. talked a lot about that here. I think every woman over 40 needs to understand keto. Um, I think she should definitely also understand feasting on these hormone building foods and knowing how to do that and when to do it is, is a whole other conversation but I call it keto variations and it's really learning how to use food to heal you. So, (laughs) and then the third one is another one that we don't talk about enough, which is your microbiome. So (laughs) we have this incredible set of bacteria that break down estrogen. You're not getting a lot of estrogen after 40. It's you're going to have to fight for every little bit of estrogen you get. And if your microbiome is destroyed from antibiotic use, from eating meats packed with antibiotics, uh, from lathering yourself with anti-septic uh, soaps and toxins that are killing bacteria everywhere, then you don't have the right bacteria to break estrogen down and estrogen's of no use to you. So I really want people to lean into the polyphenol, the probiotic, the prebiotic rich foods, 
Um, you can Google those. You can look in the book. I mean, I'm sure you mm-hmm. you probably talk a lot about those types of foods. But, mm-hmm. but plant-based foods, like vegetables matter a lot more over 40. You may have gotten away with not eating salads at 30, but at 40, you're going to need to lean into more of the leafy greens and feed those good bacteria. And mm-hmm. the, the fourth one is detox. So a lot of toxins, especially heavy metals, live in our tissues. As lead, for example, lives in our bones. And in our 40s, we're getting this estrogen that's doing this. It's just going up and down. That wild ride of estrogen and hormones where it just one day you have too much of it, the next day you don't have enough, that will trigger the release of toxins coming out of your stored tissues. And those toxins now will go up into the brain and start to affect the parts of the brain that don't have a blood-brain barrier the parts that control sleep and appetite and your hormones. So you're going to need to have some kind of detox behaviors. And I put a bunch of them in the book. And then the last one, which is actually probably my favorite, um, is what I call rushing. Well, I didn't, I have to give credit to Dr. Libby Weaver, who I actually Mm -hmm. now have on my schedule to interview on my podcast. I'm I'm super excited. And it's called the rushing woman syndrome, which is we are overscheduled we are overdoing, we are not getting enough downtime. And that was fine at 30, that might've worked at 20, but at 45 and 50, your menopausal journey will be horrendous. If you don't put in some some mindfulness techniques, if you don't stop saying no to every social engage or stop saying yes to every social engagement, we've got to slow the rushing down, especially after 40. Do you notice that the rushing woman syndrome, I, I believe is what you called it, is occurring earlier and earlier oh, yeah. in, in women? Because I, or just in general, right? Because I, I don't think it's a, a women only thing, certainly, but uh, it's just fascinating to me that it, it's almost a habit that you can try ingrain in your 20s and it would serve you if you were to almost be essentialist about it. But uh, obviously a lot of us are career driven and we make it to our thirties, forties, and then all of a sudden, so the the transition point is around that menopause time, if you will, Uh, it should be, if not before. It should be at least, and and it doesn't mean that you have to like not perform at work. Mm -hmm. It means you need some buffers and I'll, I'll tell you how I use it. So like Friday afternoon, nothing gets put on my schedule Friday afternoon after about one. That a- Damn, that- I can't get a hold of you then. <laughs> <laughs> can't get a hold of me. I, I like withdraw. And I know what's really cool is here we're having this interview on a Tuesday. I've got a really busy day and week. But in my mind, I know by Friday at one, I'm out. I'm done. Mm-hmm. I, I can rest. So mm-hmm. I Friday, I protect Fridays and I protect Sundays. Those, I, if you invited me over for dinner on a Friday, I say no. Um, if you, you know, on Sundays, I have to, it has to be a pretty spectacular event or, or thing to go to in order for me to pull me out of my house on a Sunday. Mm, so pool party on a Sunday. Yeah. I, I'm going to persuade you. Yeah. No, or like <laughs> seminars, you won't find me. I mean, unless I have to be there on a Sunday, I'm usually the one that checks out or, you know, and make mm-hmm. sure that I'm not there. So I, I have, and that's just my schedule, but you got to have times you can go, 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 but then where are your buffers? Where are your moments of downtime? And I think that mm-hmm. is what women aren't being taught. 
Um, and to answer your question about younger and younger, I just feel like our society gives um, gives people in general so much positive reinforcement for overdoing. You know, yeah. you get the rage, you get the title, you get the followers on social media. You can post all the pictures of yourself doing all these really cool things. And we forget that we weren't biologically as women meant to be doing all of that. There needs to be a chill out time for ourselves. This is beautiful. Dr. Mindy, before I transition into sort of what I call the final four questions, because I need a more original name than that, but uh, what would you say is your sort of top three ways of winding down on the weekend, top three activities Ooh. that you do? Okay. So you want to know my new way that the pan- Oh yeah. Yeah. My Give pan- us the inside information, and, please. Yeah. And it's, it's based off neuroscience and mm. um, it, the pandemic, pandemic gave it to me. And that is movement, but I'm not saying go for a run. So when our brains are in a state of anxiety, which the rushing woman is often in that state where she's locked, that when we move forward, we go on a walk, especially out in in nature, you can get on your bike. Those are really the only two ways. Getting in your car doesn't necessarily do it, but movement forward calms the brain. So I've started coming home at the end of a day and walking the dogs. And I do it at sunset because when the sun is coming down, it signals your eyes register the red light and it signals to your body to make more melatonin so that you could start to prepare for sleep that's going to happen later on. So Mm -hmm. get out and walk at sunset is an incredible way to wind down. My, my second favorite way is uh, pet your dog or your animal, that actually petting a, 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 or snuggling with, a, with an animal, I mean, it happens with a person too, um, yeah. releases oxytocin. And oh, oxytocin yeah. will calm cortisol down. And cortisol mm-hmm. calm makes you more insulin sensitive. If you're more insulin sensitive, you can balance all of your sex hormones. So go get yourself some oxytocin. If you don't have an animal, if you don't live with somebody, find something that brings you joy or laughter um, and make sure that you're uh, conscious about it. I mean, I really, I'll come home. If I'm not, if I'm having trouble winding down, I grab my, I have two dogs and I'll sit and pet them. And that petting really is an oxytocin boost. Um, And then my third one, this is not, I'm not so good at it, but I'll, I'll tell you what I'm working on which is no electronics after like six o'clock, you know, just these things will wind you up and get you stuck in your amygdala brain, like nobody's business. Yeah. It's one thing that I'm working on too. And we're, we're actually considering getting a dog. So (laughs) that's, it's funny that you mentioned that Uh, probably mainly from my perspective, uh, the additional oxytocin is very, very helpful. So I've even uh, at night, if the dog's in bed with you and I can't sleep, I'll just put my hand on the dog and like, mm-hmm. and just sort of, and if I need to pet the dog, but that can relax me too enough to go back to sleep. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Minnie, this has been absolutely fantastic. And we're going to get to the book here in a second and where people can find that. But uh, just going over now into the final four questions, what excites you most about the health world right now? Oh, oh, you have good questions, Boomer. I love this. Um, okay. 
here's something that is deep in my heart that I want everybody to realize. 2020 provided us an amazing opportunity to take our health seriously. And we are at a crossroads in the, the, it, for the human species. And if we don't look at the fact that health matters above all else, we will die as a species. I, I have uh, spoken with many experts who believe in this, um, just like we need to take care of our climate, just like we need to take care of our health, we are at a crossroads that needs people to wake up. <laughs> so if we can wake up and say, whoa, I had no idea that a new virus could shut the world down this much. If we wake up and say, I refuse to put my health last, I refuse to be a consumer that only cares about my own well-being and doesn't care about the well-being of others, doesn't care about the well-being of the planet, you have to understand your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren may not have a world to live in. So mm -hmm. what excites me the most is the opportunity that is sitting in front of us right now, now to care about our health, care about our planet, and care about others. If we step into that, this will be a world beyond anything we've ever seen that we've ever dreamed of. This could be the greatest planet. We could be the, the greatest species. We could have so many gifts emerge from this moment if we make the choice to do those three things. That excites me the most. Got goosebumps as you're saying it. And that whole shift in worldview, if people are looking for sort of a third party source that echoes that and kind of walks people on how to do it. Nassim Haramine has something that's pretty interesting on his website that's free. Uh, second question, and you may be biased here, um, so I'm kind of curious how you answer this, but your top trick for enhancing your focus. Oh, I am totally biased. Yeah, get yourself some, <laughs> get, get yourself some ketones. Oh my yeah. gosh. Oh, then, to... okay. Then part B, part B of this question then. What, okay. are your, what is your feeling on exogenous ketones? Ah, yes. I have a strong opinion on this. Mm -hmm. um, if you supplement from the outside in too often, then the inner mechanisms that make ketones won't know how to do it. So if you need an exogenous ketone to like have a, a better performance at um, for a, a talk or for a workout every once in a while, I'm okay. I'm there with you. But if you are using exogenous ketones to get into ketosis, you're not allowing your body to figure out how to get into it on its own. And then the last piece of that is we have no research showing what happens when ketones are high and blood sugar is high. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. That's if you right. If you some of those shakes out there that kind of drive me yeah. nuts. Um, we don't. We don't. We're meant to have ketones when blood sugar is low. So what happens if I eat a lunch and then I'm falling, I'm falling asleep and I go and have some exogenous ketones? I don't know. We don't know what that's going to do long term. Of course. Of course. Very well said. Okay. So ketones for enhancing focus. What is the number one book that has impacted your life and why? Mm. Okay. So this is a really strange little book that totally yeah. changed my life. There's actually two of them. I'll give two of them. The first, it was called Living in the Light by Shakti Gowan. And it mm -hmm. was all about visualization. And at a time when I was in my 20s and I had chronic fatigue syndrome, that book jumped out at me at a bookstore. 
And I learned in that book that I could use my mind to create any reality that I wanted. And uh, she's no longer alive, otherwise I bring her on my podcast, but um, it was a profound book about visualizing. The second mm-hmm. book that I love that, that has changed my life is The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. Did you read that book? <laughs> I, I'm familiar with it, but okay. please. So Robin, Robin Sharma, and mm-hmm. I read that book when I was first in practice and felt like the jaw, my vision for my life was to achieve. And then I read that book and realized, oh, that's not going to serve me well. And it's, it's mm-hmm. basically a fable about a man who is an attorney and has a heart attack on the, on the courtroom floor. And then he makes a dramatic shift and becomes a monk and what he learns in that process. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Dr. Minnie, where can people find out more about you, the book, and everything that you're up to? So the, the best place to get all my information or kind of the hub is my website. So you can go there. Um, the book links to the book, or you can just go to the menopauseresetbook.com. That those are have everything for the book. But otherwise, go to my website, Dr. Mindy Pels, and you can see all the links there. Um, the content that I put out that I'm I put really my that my heart and soul into more than I mean, my books obviously there's a heart and soul piece there, but are my YouTube videos. So I spend all a lot of time researching, listening to what people need, what information they need, and I put new two new videos out a week. Um, so you can always go to YouTube and uh, binge watch the fasting videos if you really want to like understand this at, at depth. I think I've got like 600 fasting videos there. Yeah, it's better than Netflix. There's certainly <laughs> a lot of content there. Yeah, thank uh, you. Dr. Mindy, this has been an absolute pleasure. And wow, I could talk to you about so many more topics. You even mentioned chronic fatigue syndrome, which is something that I would love to get into sometime. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you, Boomer, for having me. I, um, you know, really want people to adopt fasting because it, it, there's nobody that can do it other than you. So you, Mm -hmm. you stop giving your power away to external sources and you start to reconnect yourself with a power you may never even realized you had. So I just appreciate the opportunity to share what I know and to move that empowerment out to as many people as possible. So thank you. Dr. Mindy is so enjoyable to talk to. You can really tell when somebody comes on the show, if they bring the energy that you're just going to have a great conversation. And we did. I learned quite a bit about women's fasting. I learned quite a bit about menopause, things I didn't even really know before. And I hope some of you will at least check out Dr. Mindy's book. The show notes for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash Mindy, M-I-N-D-Y. And if you enjoyed the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a five-star rating. Leave a comment because, well, I love hearing from you guys. Have an absolutely epic day, superhumans.